Welcome to ASRM Today, a podcast that takes a deeper dive into the current topics in reproductive medicine. I'm Jeffrey Hayes. It's Thyroid Awareness Month, and today on the show, we're going to talk about subclinical hypothyroidism. Our guest today to help guide us in this topic is Dr. Stephen R. Thomas, who is the Lewis S. Walk Distinguished Professor of Medicine, Chief of the Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, and Executive Vice Chair in the Department of Medicine at the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry. Dr. Hamas, welcome to ASRM today. Well, thank you, Jeffrey. I, I want to start out, this is, this is, of course, is a very, is it fair to say hot button uh, topic, hot button issue? Because the, there's, there's just so many questions floating around. Let's start with sort of an easier question. How is uh, subclinical hypothyroidism being diagnosed? So you're right. It is kind of a, uh, I don't know if I call it controversial, but it's a, it's a subject for which there may not be a, a perfect answer. So, so subclinical hypothyroidism is exactly what it sounds like. It's being hypothyroid biochemically when we draw blood, but not necessarily having symptoms of hypothyroidism. So Normally, what happens is there's two things we use to measure uh, thyroid levels. We measure the direct thyroid level with a free T4, and then we measure the TSH, which is inversely proportional to the T4 level. So if you're a little bit hypothyroid, your TSH will be a little bit elevated. So technically, subclinical hypothyroidism is when you don't have a lot of symptoms, your free T4 is actually usually kind of in the normal range, maybe the low normal range but your TSH is a little elevated, which means you're not making quite enough thyroid hormone to bring your pituitary function completely normal. So now just to cross back over uh, into uh, infertility uh, issues, does untreated subclinical hypothyroidism contribute to different types of infertility issues? So another great question, and I'm not sure that there is a precise answer to that question, right? So it is felt that, um, so, so if somebody is not trying to get pregnant and they have subclinical hypothyroidism, as long as they don't have symptoms and the TSH is just a little bit elevated, you know, we will often tell patients, well, you don't need anything. We'll just keep an eye on it. And you're, it's really not going to affect you in any way. That said, when somebody wants to get pregnant, we tend to be a little more uh, thoughtful about this. And we do tend to try to bring the TSHs into normal range. In fact, we really try to bring them into the lower half of the normal range, usually less than 2.5 is a number that we throw out there. And the thought is that it may improve chances of getting pregnant and fertility rates, though I don't think the data are super strong. But there are also some data that keeping the TSH lower during pregnancy might improve uh, outcomes, both in terms of miscarriages, but also in terms of long-term outcomes of the children. But again, where that cutoff exactly is and how strong the data are, we just don't know. But I think it's, a, it's not so difficult to treat and it's safe. So the feeling is we should try to do it. So currently then we can't really say if, if they are treated that the miscarriage rates would improve, correct? Or that, that is correct. I do not believe there are significant data to support that. Well, then is there, is there any questions then about maybe testing for antibodies or antithyroid peroxidase? So that's a really, really good question. What about testing for antibodies? And there's really two different philosophies. I tend to, in general, be a, you know, don't check for antibodies because a lot of people have antibodies, but they're not actually hypothyroid. So if you randomly check people and they have positive antibodies, only about half of them will ever become hypothyroid. 
and maybe a little bit more, but not much more. And so just checking antibodies, is kind of like waiting for the other shoe to drop, right? You don't know if you're actually going to become hypothyroid. So, but if you have subclinical hypothyroidism, you're absolutely right. There are some advantages to checking antibodies because if you're already a little hypothyroid and your antibodies are positive, then most likely you do have Hashimoto's, which is where you have an autoimmune process where you make these antibodies that destroy your thyroid gland. And so the odds are that it may get worse. And so that's an example where if you, somebody's interested in fertility and pregnancy also, the better part of valor would be to try and get that TSH into the normal range, just in case things actually progress further on down the line. And by then you're, you're, you're playing catch up. My guest today is uh, Dr. Stephen R. Hamas, and we are talking about subclinical hypothyroidism. It is Thyroid Awareness Month. I want to walk back for a second. This is your first time on the show, and, and I'm curious about uh, maybe to, if you could enlighten our listeners uh, a little bit about how did you get interested in thyroid awareness and, and hypothyroidism and, and all of those things? So, you know, that I, when I started as a medicine doctor, when I was a resident in general medicine, I had no idea I wanted to go into endocrinology and I just kind of fell into it. And then I ended up loving it. And what's interesting is my research, I do a lot of basic research and my research actually took me into a reproductive endocrinology. So I'm actually trained as a general endocrinologist but my research took me towards reproduction. And so then I've become interested in everything related to reproduction. And of course, thyroid and pregnancy and thyroid and reproduction are a really important topic. So, so I, I'd say I kind of fell into it. I never planned to do anything. I just kind of end up doing it and then I end up loving it. And that's basically how I got here with you today. I think that most of us would probably fall in the same boat. You know, you would right. never quite know what the track is going to be. We just sort of follow the track once it's, once it sort of gets laid in front of us or one foot in front of the other, as, as my, my father used to say uh, often to me. Since this is, again, such a, such, there's still so much testing and theory and, and whatnot that, that contributing to data on this, I, I don't want to be uh, uh, reductive in, in, in questioning about some of these things for you. Uh, but I do want to ask you, though, uh, what about universal screening? So most major endocrine and reproductive organizations, not all, but most do not recommend universal screening because most people aren't hypothyroid. And some people are going to have a TSH that's a little bit elevated or maybe even high normal. And then you're going to wonder what to do about it, right? So, so right now, most organizations do not recommend universal screening. I, my own sort of personal bias is that it is a very easy thing to screen. It's cheap, it's easy, and it's low-hanging fruit to treat if somebody is hypothyroid. And pregnancy is a big deal, right? And so to me, I, I feel like you can work through the cases where it's a little bit confusing. But overall, I think that, um, you know, I, I don't have a problem with screening women who want to become pregnant or who just became pregnant just to make sure, you know, 10, 15 percent of women are eventually going to develop autoimmune uh, thyroiditis or hypothyroidism. That's a big number. And let's say it's a third of that. Maybe it's only a few percent. That's still a big enough number that I, you know, I don't think there's a huge harm in screening if, there, if you're at all concerned about it. It's, if a woman feels fine and doesn't feel the need, I would never push it on them. But there's no downside, especially if there's a family history, for example, there might be things that would push you to do it. So I have a very low threshold, I would say, to screen. But then when do you treat? As I mentioned, I don't think I would treat unless they truly had an elevated TSH. 
right? If it was high normal, I think there's no evidence at all to suggest you need to do it. But if it was subclinical, as we've been talking about, then I think you might put them on a little bit of thyroid hormone. It's interesting you mentioned genetics because I was, I was going to ask you, is there data that exists right now that is pointing more towards genetically inclined uh, subclinical hypothyroidism? Or is that something that's still, you know, still too on the table debated? So I don't think there's any debate that autoimmune thyroiditis, Hashimoto's, which is the most common, and then there's a hyperthyroid state called Graves disease, where you actually make antibodies that stimulate your, your uh, thyroid gland to make too much hormone. Both of those are autoimmune processes, and I don't think there's any doubt that there's a hereditary component to that. It runs in families. And so a lot of people with subclinical hypothyroidism are going to end up having Hashimoto. So in that regard, by, you know, by going those two steps, you could conceivably say that there is a, a family tendency. So again, that's why I think if, you have, if your mother has Hashimoto's and your sister has Hashimoto's, I think is 100% reasonable, even if you feel fine to check your thyroid levels if you're interested in being pregnant or if you are pregnant, because the odds are a little bit higher that you might have it too. Is it safe to assume then that you get a lot of referrals? based on that you're more into the specialty of, of things. Right, than exactly. exactly. So, so what are some ways that you've personally found that you're able to keep patients from panicking? If it's, if they, if you're going to get a test, if they don't know if they're, you know, if they're known that a diagnosis, like, can you just give us a little bit of how you sort of handle that? Well, that's a good question. So, you know, by the time they get sent to me, sometimes they're already panicking, right? Because somebody else drew the labs and they were abnormal. And, and what I remind people is that, you know, this is something we have a lot of experience with, not just endocrinologists, but, you know, gynecologists, obstetricians, primary care doctors, we all know how to treat hypothyroidism and it's pretty straightforward. Medications are safe, they're easy. It's easy to get somebody's thyroid level back into the normal range pretty quickly if we need to. Right. So the first thing I always tell patients is the most important thing is to, you know, once you find out is to just take your medicine. And I tend to, you know, people who are truly hypothyroid, I, you know, I tend to test them pretty frequently during their pregnancy, especially during the first trimester, just to make sure they're okay. But, but this is easy to treat. It's cheap, it's safe, and we know how to do it. So I think for most people, like the key is to, is to talk to your doctor. Most primary care doctors or obstetricians are 100% comfortable taking care of, you know, mild hypothyroidism on their own. And if they're not, then, you know, we're always around. Well, thank goodness for that. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> my guest today has been Dr. Stephen R. Hamas. Uh, it's wonderful that you could take time out to be on the show. We, we've been talking about subclinical hypothyroidism. Uh, I, I hope we can have you back. When we, well, when we get you. some more data that. in 2022, you know, maybe we can, <laughs> we can uh, uh, have, a little, have a little bit of an expanded conversation. Well, great. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. You can rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, or wherever you get your podcasting uh, uh, downloads from. Again, I want to thank my guest. Uh, thank you to the listeners. And I am Jeffrey Hayes, and this is ASRM Today. This concludes this episode of ASRM Today. For show notes, author information, and discussions, go to asrmtoday.org. This material is copyrighted by the American Society for Reproductive Medicine and may not be reproduced or used without express consent from ASRM.
ASRM Today series podcasts are supported in part by the ASRM Corporate Member Council. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of ASRM and its affiliates. These are provided as a source of general information and are not a substitute for consultation with a physician.